What are you looking for in a church? What kind of church should we be? You know, if you ask folks that question, you get a lot of different answers. I've been told many a time that folks look for a church that's got a good youth program. I've been told that we go to a church or we're looking for a church that's got a lot of people. I've also heard the exact opposite of that. We've had some folks that said the last thing we want is a lot of people. We want small amount of people. I've been told, well, I'm looking for a church that's close to home. Don't have to drive far to go to church. Looking for a church that's got a really good preacher. Looking for a church that's friendly. Looking for a church that has a gymnasium. Looking for a church that my kids like. Looking for a church that's got a good band or good music program. Looking for a church that has a relaxed dress code. Looking for a church that accepts me as I am. What are you looking for in a church? Now, as we look over that list, all those things are not bad things. I'm looking for a church that's got friendly people. Uh, I think that's probably an important element of a church. Uh, I think there's a lot of good things, but there are some things that just amaze me at times that folks get to thinking about. Uh, For instance, this one right here, number seven, I'm looking for a church that my kids like. When did our kids start determining where we're going to church? That's kind of like waking up and going, hey, where are we going to go to school today? And the kids making that decision. Well, mom, dad, we really don't like this elementary school. We are going over to this one. We like it a lot better. And parents going, well, we're going to go over to this elementary school because our kids like it a whole lot better. Since when did that start happening? You know, we can talk about some of these other things. Number nine, it's got a relaxed dress code. Lisa and I were in Arkansas a few years ago, and there was a billboard. said, you can go to church with us in your underwear. And you just have to log in. That's all you've got. A lot of people look for a lot of different things when they're going to church or or looking for a church. I just want to talk to you about what we're going to talk about this month, our October series, and that is we're looking for a church. We're going to talk about looking for a church that seeks truth. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about we're looking for a church that's evangelistic. On the third uh, Sunday morning, we're going to look for a church that's alive And on the last Sunday of this month, we're looking for a church that equips the saints. So you can be looking forward to that series. This morning, I've been entrusted with this concept right here. I'm looking for a church that seeks truth, okay? And I just want to analyze that for just a moment, and I want to talk about what church means to start with. What do we mean when we say looking for a church? There's a lot of different ways the term church can be used. Romans 16 and verse number 5, Likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. I just want you to focus in church that's in their house. Okay, so when we start talking about going to church, uh, the term can be used in different ways. Sometimes we're talking about going to an assembly of the church or a gathering of church people. In this case, the church was in their house. Romans 16, uh, Acts 8, verse number 3, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Uh, The apostle Paul, before he was apostle Paul, saw 
I just want you to notice that before Christians were dispersed out that took place here in Acts chapter 8 because of the persecution that was happening to the churches, he made havoc of the church. And then I want you to notice this next phrase, entering into every house. Where was the church? The church was in their house. Just like that last verse we looked at there. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You know what the church is in the context we're talking about today? We're talking about a body of believers that are saved. We're talking about a body of saved people that gather together. Okay, That's the church and they assemble together. Sometimes the term church is translated. Uh, that Greek word is ekklesia. Sometimes it's translated different things, a calling out. We're called out of our homes to assemble into a public place. Sometimes that term is used in that context, especially a religious congregation. Sometimes it's used in that context. A Christian community of members on earth or saints in heaven. An assembly, Acts chapter 14 talks about ordaining elders in every church. Ordaining elders in every assembly of the church. And then the term church is also used when we talk about that. So when we're talking this morning about I'm looking for a church, I'm talking about a believers, group of people that are meeting together. That's the context which I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the church universal that Christ died for necessarily. We're a part of that. But I'm saying a congregation of people, we're looking for a church. We're looking for a body of people. What kind of body of people should we be? What kind of body of people are we looking for? Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18. He's the head of the body, the church. Okay? Who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You know what the body is? It's the church. You know what the church is? It's the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 22. It's put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That's what the church is. The church is the body of Christ. Romans 12 verse number 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. So this morning when I talk about I'm looking for a church, I'm talking about I'm looking for a congregation, a body of Christians. I'm looking for people that are gathered together, that are a part of the saved of God, that gather together to worship God. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. I just want you to notice this verse. Paul is writing to Timothy and he said, If I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church of God or in the house of God, which is the church of God, the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the house of God. It's the church of the living God. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. So if we're looking for a church that seeks truth, the church ought to be the pillar and ground of the truth. There ought to be one place we find truth. Now, I'm not saying you can't find truth in other areas. I'm just saying there ought to be one place you find truth that ought to be at church. Okay? Church ought to be the pillar and ground of the truth. It serves you no purpose to gather together to have a fluffy 15-minute positive thinking, let's all go out and, and everybody's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay sort of type sermon. It, it serves you no purpose. The church, from our pulpits today, we need preachers preaching the truth. The church ought to be supporting the truth, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, with that in mind, 
you've got to be questioning the concept even whether you believe in truth or not. If you sat in some college classrooms and some philosophy classrooms in college, they'll question the concept of truth. Aristotle, Plato, those were big questions of those philosophers is what is truth and what's a concept of truth and how can we know truth or is there even a truth or the questions that's asked. And I want to tell you there is a truth and the church ought to support. It ought to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Pilate asked the question, when Jesus was in custody and about to go to the cross. John 18, verse number 38, Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find no fault at all. And I just want you to keep that in mind. Pilate didn't find any fault with him, but he asked a very deep question. What is truth? And he was answering to a comment that Jesus made. They're in John chapter 18. And we're going to look at that before we're finished today. Let me tell you what truth is not. Truth is not that which simply works. Meaning the ends justify the means. Or the means justify the end. I think is what I'm looking for. The means justify the end. In other words, it really doesn't matter what you do as long as you can ultimately accomplish the end result that you're looking for. Just because it works doesn't make it truth. What is coherent or understandable? Say, well, it's a very logical argument. That doesn't make it truth. It can be very logical. It can be very coherent. doesn't make it truth. What is comprehensive? I can stand up here today and give you a four-hour expose on the amazing attributes of the grace of God, and it could be the most comprehensive sermon. doesn't make it truth. It could be a comprehensive lie. It doesn't, truth is not defined by what's intended. There are people that could have great intentions and still not have truth. They could have good intentions, their intentions are good, but still not have truth. Truth is not how we know, but what we know. Let me tell you, Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, my dad taught that to me, or my mom taught that to me, or my parents believed that way. Doesn't make it truth. How you know it is not truth. It's not a good argument for truth, because you learned it a certain way. What is believed is not truth. Just because someone believes something doesn't make it truth. People believe things all day long that's not necessarily truth. Truth is not necessarily what is publicly proven. And what I mean by that basically is you could have a buried treasure somewhere and somebody could say there's a buried treasure somewhere and it could still be true that there's a buried treasure somewhere even if we can't publicly prove that the buried treasure is in a particular place. It could still be true. So truth is not what is only publicly proven is my point. Truth is not necessarily what can be defended. And what I mean by that basically is just because I can give a defense for an argument doesn't make my defense true. I could be wrong. I could also not understand something and argue it. I could defend it. I could give you the greatest arguments and it still not be true. Just because I can defend it doesn't make it true. Uh, Daryl and I 
about a week or so ago, sat in a couple of classes for a couple of days, and there was a guy in there that was teaching building code. Daryl was in that particular class. I got out of the class that I was in early, and I went over to Daryl's class and kind of came in at the end of it, in the last hour of, of the class he was sitting in, and they were teaching construction. They were teaching building. And he gave off these specs won't mean anything to you. They shouldn't mean anything to you. But he spouted off that you ought to have ventilation, one square foot of ventilation for every 150 square foot of space. That's what he spouted off. And he said, now if 50% of your ventilation cuts from the lower portion of the attic and the other 50% cuts from the top part of the attic, then it could go to 300 to 1. Somebody, now this is the guy teaching the class, okay? That's the specs he gave to the class. This is the guy that studied the code. This is the guy that's teaching the other folks. And somebody sitting in the class who knew nothing about the code said, well, the code didn't say that at all. Now, understand, he's just teaching the class. And he goes, well, I have that in the back of my head. Maybe I'm wrong. And he looked over, and the guy tried to show him. He's going, well, I don't know, but I have that in my head. Maybe I'm wrong. And I very loudly and publicly said, you're not wrong at all. That's exactly what the code says. And I'm not saying that to say that I was bragging. I'm just saying the point is, is he was giving up his argument because he didn't feel like he could defend it on the spot. And the reality is he was right. Keep reading. Read the exception of the code. Whatever the situation was, the point is just because you can defend it or can't defend it or whatever in and of itself doesn't make it true. He wasn't wrong because he couldn't defend it on the spot. You see what I'm saying? You can be in a Bible discussion with somebody and somebody presents something just because you can't defend it immediately doesn't necessarily make your argument wrong. You can still be right and lose the argument. Now, you guys have heard me preach before and I've talked, you know, at the end of the day, what we want to know is truth. What we want to know is God's word. It's not about winning an argument either. And I would encourage you to get away from trying to win arguments and learn truth. Learn the word of God. Don't try to win an argument. I'm not saying can't have discussions, Bible discussions. Those are important things to do. But I'm telling you, I grew up in an era where I wanted to win the argument. I'm telling you, I want to come across the table. I want to win. That's important to me. And I will tell you, it's really a wrong attitude to have. What we're trying to do is learn the word of God. I tell you, years ago, Michael was working with me at the time. We were driving down the road, and, and Michael, uh, we were talking about Bible stuff, and Michael made this argument about a particular issue. And all that, you know, fervor to win, he's also my son-in-law. I have that more fervor to win when it's my son-in-law. You know, I, I will win this argument. And so on technique alone, twisted his argument and changed it and, you know, tried to wrap him up into a pretzel and all that's over. And we got finished with that. And, you know, Michael's just kind of going, I'm sorry I ever brought this up, you know, kind of deal, which I don't blame him. But I laid in bed that night and I thought, how awful, honestly, how awful of me. I'm telling you the inside urge to want to win an argument. And I went back to Michael later. Michael attests to this, but I went back to Michael later and apologized. I said, I'm sorry. I said, we teach all the time that we're not trying to win arguments, but I'm telling you, that's, you had a good argument. And let me tell you where your argument was good and where you had a, 
weakness in your argument, stuff like that. Michael was just starting to learn the Word of God. Michael was just starting to learn and ask questions about stuff. Ty had been doing that for 20 or 30 years, so he knew what the argument was that he was given. And Ty was going to win, but I was winning on technique. I wasn't winning on what was right and wrong. You see what I'm saying? Just because you can defend something doesn't make you right. And just because you can't defend something doesn't make you wrong. Be careful. You can be teaching code and know something in the back of your head and at the spur of the moment when 100 people are looking at you, you can't find the book, chapter, and verse doesn't make the argument wrong or it doesn't make the information wrong. What is truth then? Let me tell you, truth is going to correspond to reality. Meaning that if I say that that's a pew, there really is a pew. You can sit in philosophy classes all day long. People go, well, we just mutually agree to call it a pew. It actually could be a chair, but because we mutually agree to call it a pew, there really is no truth. That's the arguments of there's no truth. The reality is true deals in reality. It deals in what's real. That's truth. Truth matches its object. If I say to you, you need to take two aspirin for an adult person, two aspirin every four hours and don't take any more than two aspirin, and then you try to give those same two aspirin to an infant, it might kill an infant, doesn't make what the statement I originally made true. The statement I originally made was take two aspirin as an adult every four hours is still true the situation may change if we talk about an infant. How much aspirin an infant needs. The truth has to match its object. The statement doesn't necessarily become untrue because the circumstances change around the arguments. You've got to keep those things in mind. Truth also tells it like it is. There's a gospel song called Preacher, Tell It Like It Is. And I'd like to, for you to just think about it for just a moment. What good does it do you? For someone to not tell it like it is. Now there's a way it ought to be told. It shouldn't be told rudely. It shouldn't be told offensively. That type of thing. But you want someone telling you what the Bible teaches. You want from your pulpit the church to be the pillar and ground of the truth. We want that here at College Park. We want our pulpit to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Preachers and our teachers in this congregation know that Jerry and I pled with them and talked to them and said, listen, get up, talk Bible, teach Bible, teach principles from Bible, and you'll have an excellent sermon. It doesn't have to be filled with tons of pictures in your PowerPoint. Not saying you can't use a picture, guys. I'm just saying that that the sermon isn't about the fluff and it's not about all of those things. It's about teaching God's Word. Let us walk away with some of God's Word. That's why we're here. What good is it doing you if truth is not spoken, if the church is not the pillar and ground of the truth? Tell it like it is. Philosophy today would say, well, truth is relative. It's just kind of subject to who's hearing it, it could be your truth, somebody else's truth. It's all relative to the concept of truth. And I just want to tell you that something cannot be A and non-A at the same time. It's not relative. There's one of those is correct. One of those is the correct answer. And one of them is the wrong answer. 
That's just the way it is. Relativism really is not applicable when it comes to the concept of truth. I know people say truth is relative, but truth is truth. And something else is wrong in that case. Let me just tell you, if I were a math teacher, AJ, you teach math, don't you? AJ teaches math. Let's move it to AJ. He's a math teacher. My dad always said I needed more math. But AJ is teaching his kids 2 plus 2 is 4. And his kids go, well, it just depends. It's all relative. And I'm going to guess AJ is going to mark it wrong on the paper if they put 5. How dare you? Truth is relative. Kind of depends on how you view it. And I just want to tell you it's not 2 plus 2 is 4, and any other answer than 4 is wrong. That's truth, okay? Philosophy today would say, well, I'm skeptical of the concept of truth. What's interesting to me is I'm curious to know if they're skeptical of skepticism because chances are they're not because they really believe that truth lies in skepticism. I'm skeptical of the concept of truth. And I just want to tell you back to AJ's example again, 2 plus 2 is 4. Somebody sit there all day long and go, well, I'm skeptical of that. Don't really know for sure. I'm going to question every angle of that. I just want to tell you at the end of the story, there's still truth. And the truth is 4. Postmodernism basically says, well, there may be a concept of truth, but there is no specific truth. Pluralism says, well, there's all different kinds of truth. Your truth can be different than my truth. And we all have truth. I just want to tell you at the end of the day, there are some things that are right, and there are some things that are wrong. And the question is, what is truth? Philosophy honestly does not really have the answer for what is truth. The concepts of sitting in a classroom and going, well, we don't know if we call it a pew, it could be a chair, we just mean you agree to call it a pew. Does it make it a pew? You can do that all day long. And I'm telling you as parents, if you do that with your children, you're going to raise some very confused children. And your children deserve better than that. Your children deserve to know what's right and what's wrong, what's real and what's not. Some of the complaints to the concept of truth. It's very narrow-minded. You think you have truth. So I want to go back to AJ again. AJ, that's very narrow-minded of you to think 2 plus 2 is 4. It's not narrow-minded at all. It's right. Okay? It's correct. It's not narrow-minded at all. But people say, well, truth, it's so narrow. It's so, you know, you should, you should think a little broadly, more broader, because that's just so narrow-minded. That's narrow thinking. Well, that's an accusation to the person speaking truth, but that doesn't change truth. What's 2 plus 2 again? Still 4. And you can say AJ's narrow-minded. You can be the parent of one of his students. You can have a teacher conference. You can say you are so narrow-minded. And the reality is, after the conference is over and all the dust settles, the answer is still 4. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you consider it to be narrow-minded. The answer did not change. The answer is still four. 
One of the complaints of truth is it's very arrogant. You think you are the only one. Let's go back to AJ's illustration again. AJ, you think your answer's right and my answer's wrong. How arrogant of you. Don't you feel special, AJ, that you you are arrogant for thinking that. And I just want to tell you, after all the dust settles, the answer is still four. It's not inclusive enough. Truth is not inclusive enough. We need to be broader-minded people than this, that, that we're including others. Maybe there's others in your class, AJ, that struggle with the concept of 2 plus 2, and we need to make sure they feel good when they leave. And I just want to tell you, at the end of the day, by just the natural concept of truth, truth can be exclusive because someone's right and someone's wrong. And the answer is still four. You can try to make everyone else feel good about the answer they gave, but those answers are wrong. Truth is, the concept of truth, one of the complaints is that it's offensive. I mean, you have told somebody they're wrong. That's offensive. And go back to AJ's illustration again. He has told my little Johnny that his answer of 23 is incorrect. You have hurt little Johnny's feelings. That is offensive to little Johnny. You have offended me. And I just want to tell you, at the end of that, when all the dust settles and the teacher conference is over, the answer didn't change. The truthful answer is four, and little Johnny's 23 was incorrect. So I just want you to get the concept of truth. Somebody can say, you're narrow-minded because you believe that, or you're arrogant, or you're not inclusive enough of other people, or you're offensive. Don't get me wrong at all. I don't think we need to be delivering the Word of God offensively with that motive behind or anything along those lines. I do think we need to try to include everywhere we possibly can in general conversation. But at the end of the story, truth is truth. Now, I may be speaking something and state it incorrectly. I may be speaking something that's not even true. I may be saying something that's not truth. It still doesn't change truth. Whatever I said didn't change truth. The discussion about it didn't change truth. Truth is truth. There's one argument that says truth only exists in science. It's called logical positivism. And that basically means it's, it can only be, the only thing that's really true can be tested. Okay? So it's got to be tested by science to really be true. And I, you want to talk about arrogant? I think that's an arrogant argument. An arrogant argument is the only thing that can be studied as truth is what we can prove to be truth. But I just want you to think about some things. Science can't prove metaphysical truths such as your mind works like my mind works. That we both have minds. You have the ability to think independent of me having the ability to think. How do I test that? 
How do I test that scientifically? Okay? Morals and ethics. How is that tested scientifically? You believe in murdering children? You know, generally speaking, across the board, most people think that's immoral. Okay? How is that testable? Okay? Now, we can take a survey. We can come up with some statistical numbers. But the reality is something's moral and something is immoral. It's true or not true regardless of how people believe about it or what survey you take. For some reason, most people think their spouse ought to be loyal to them. That's a universal moral truth, okay? For some reason, it would bother us if our spouse was not truthful or wasn't honest or wasn't faithful to us, okay? Why? Science has no way to test that. What about aesthetics such as the beauty of the sunrise? To say a sunrise is beautiful, how is that testable? Okay? Is it true? I believe it's true. Believe a sunset's beautiful? I love sunsets. They're beautiful. But how do you scientifically test whether the sunrise is beautiful or not? What's interesting to me is the claim that science is the only source of objective truth cannot be tested by science. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Let me tell you, at the end of this story, truth matters. I'm looking for a church that is the pillar and ground of the truth. I'm looking for a body of people who think it's important to have truth. I'm not saying that we're right on everything all the time. I'm just saying they think it's an important attribute to seek truth. What is it really? What, what really matters? What are important things? And I just want to tell you, truth matters. Lying matters. The opposite of truth matters. Let me give you an illustration of such. Do you remember when Jesus was taken into custody, Matthew chapter 26, 59? The chief priests, the elders, all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus. And they were going to put him to death. He was standing before Caiaphas. You know what they were looking for? People that would lie. He didn't deserve it. They lied. They were false witnesses. They told things that were not true. You think lying matters? Lying put your Savior on the cross. See, truth was really on trial. Matthew 26, verse number 65. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. He speaks blasphemy. Who was, who was saying that? The false witnesses. The liars. What was true? He didn't speak blasphemy. He really was God. Okay? They weren't, you didn't have to seek a false witness. Listen to him. Listen to the truth that he spoke. What think ye? They answered and said, he's guilty of death. Do you think truth mattered? If you were put on trial, would you want truth? You know, somebody stands up and says, I do solemnly swear or affirm that that which I'm fixing to give as a testimony is going to be truth, 
truthful, so help me God. Do you want that person standing on the stand or sitting on the stand? And do you think truth matters? Would you want what was truthful or do you want false witnesses? You want somebody telling something that's not true. Truth matters. I just want to tell you, I'm looking for a body of Christians that care about truth. They care about what really is. They care about what the Bible really does say. Because truth matters. Pontius Pilate. You remember Pontius Pilate washed his hand and said, I find no fault in this man. He knew he had done nothing wrong. In fact, Matthew 27, 18 said, he knew that for envy they had delivered him. He knew the people that were delivering Jesus were doing it with ulterior motives. You know what history says happened to Pontius Pilate? Eusebius' Ecclesiastical History, chapter 7, says it is proper also to observe how it is asserted that this same Pilate who was governor at our Savior's crucifixion in the reign of Caius whose times we are recording fell into such calamities that he was forced to become his own murderer and the avenger of his own wickedness. You know what history says happened to Pilate? Committed suicide. Wonder why? You think truth mattered? He knew that they had given him up and that he was an innocent man and he knew that for envy they had delivered him. But he said, whom would you that I release unto you, Barabbas or this one called Christ? They said, release Barabbas. And he gave them Christ. And the Savior of the world died on a cross of Calvary. And Pontius Pilate allowed that to take place. Now, I don't know all of the reasons that suicide would have happened. I'm just saying, though, that at the end of this story, it did not help his mental health to be speaking lies or doing things contrary to truth. It doesn't help you to lie to yourself. It doesn't help you. And and not only that, even if you believe the lie you're telling yourself, it doesn't change truth. Something still true didn't change it a bit. I can win an argument on the Bible and disagree with what the Bible says, whatever that is, pick a verse. And I can argue and I can disagree and I go, yeah, that's what it says, but that's not really what it means. And I can tell you I can win the argument and I can take technique and I can win and I can pound you in the ground. And at the end of the story, I can still be wrong. And at the end of the story, what's truthful is still what's truthful. Regardless of whether I want an argument over it or not. Or I don't want to believe it or not. I don't know what happened to his mental health. But I can tell you, it didn't end well. He knew that for envy they had delivered. He knew he was an innocent man. And he gave him up to be crucified. You know, history has not played well for Pilate. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 11. Do you think truth matters? For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness you think it matters they didn't believe the truth they had pleasure in unrighteousness do you think truth mattered Romans 1.18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness what, what is waiting for those who hold the truth and unrighteousness 
the wrath of God. Do you think truth matters? You're holding the truth in unrighteousness. I just want to tell you truth matters because the wrath of God would be upon you. Romans 2, 6 through 8, Who will render to every man according of his deeds to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. What happens to the person who doesn't obey truth but obeys unrighteousness? Indignation and wrath. That's what happens. You think truth matters? Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 15 says we ought to speak the truth in love. We shouldn't be trying to offend people in the process of speaking truth. And we need to take that lesson. Let our speech be always seasoned with grace. I want to tell you that's a struggle at times for me. But I'm telling you at the end of the story the Bible says speak the truth... But speak the truth in love. You care about people. You care about them receiving the truth to the best of your ability as well. You know, not only does lying matter, but I just want you to notice in some of those verses the parallel between unrighteous or lies versus truth. And notice that the unrighteous typically persecute righteous. People, for some reason, don't want truth at times. Why do they not want truth? Why is it that a person, to analyze that, why is it that a person doesn't want truth? Maybe it's to protect agendas, maybe it's to protect position, maybe it's to protect income, maybe it's to protect, I don't know, but why would someone not want truth? You've got to honestly analyze in your heart too. Do you really want truth? Do you want what God wants for you? You know, really that was at the root of Cain and Abel. Unrighteous persecuted righteous. And the parallel is made between that which is lies versus that which is truth. And I just want you to notice some passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 6. Love, charity, that's our chapter of charity, rejoices not in iniquity, but love rejoices in truth. What's the opposite of truth here? Iniquity. If you don't rejoice in truth, you rejoice in iniquity. Okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, again, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Notice what is the opposite of truth here. They didn't have pleasure in truth. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you're not interested in truth, you're really on the other side of truth, and truth is unrighteous. That's, that's lies. It's believing lies which are unrighteous. That's the way the Bible describes it. Romans 2, 6 through 8. We looked at this verse a minute ago. Do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. What is the opposite of truth? Unrighteousness. So really the question is that we ought to analyze is not necessarily what can have the truth, but what can be the truth. Because truth must originate from somewhere if there's absolute truth. What is it that makes something right or wrong? What is it that makes something moral or immoral? What is it that does that? Where is that standard? John 17, verse number 17, Jesus is speaking, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
Do you know what's the standard between right and wrong? The standard between good and evil? The standard between righteous and unrighteous? The standard between moral and immoral? God's word. Now why is it that some people do not want truth? Why is it that they would not obey the truth but obey unrighteous? Why is it that people don't want to know truth? They don't want to be told truth? A lot of times it's because they don't want to submit to the word of God. Because there's a lot of other things the Word of God says that I would have to be obedient to if I believed in the concept of truth. John 14, verse number 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. Do you know what truth is? You're on the side of God in truth. Romans 1, verse number 4 He proved his sonship. He declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. You know what proved truth in the Messiah? He rose from the grave the third day. He broke the bonds of sin and death. He really is the Son of God. Just like the centurion that walked by as he hung on the cross edge. Surely this was the Son of God. little late, but accurate. He really was the Son of God. And that's truth. John 18, verse number 37. You know, I opened with Pilate saying, what is truth? That was verse number 38. And I told you we would look at the comments that Jesus made prior to that. Verse number 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I, or came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. That's what Jesus said right before Pilate goes, well, what is truth? Let's go into philosophy. Let's go into psychoanalysis of the concept of truth. Well, I can tell you what truth is. Jesus said, I came to bear witness under the truth, and everyone that's of truth is listening to me. I'm looking for a church that seeks truth. I'm looking for a body of Christians that want to be obedient to the master, that want to submit to the will of God, that want to mold, conform, and shape their life after the image of Christ. And I can tell you, I don't care if I've got to drive them, 100 miles or I'm going to try to start a body of Christians if I'm driving too far or whatever because I want to be a part of a body of Christians that are honestly from the depths of the heart seeking truth now are we perfect at it probably not in this room probably not in my room in my life but I tell you my heart is that's what I want to seek it doesn't serve any purpose for me to not want to know truth, to not want to know what the answer is, the real answer, the one that matters. You can probably tell some of that occasionally if you know our daughters very well. You know, they'll kind of just speak, it is what it is. Because it's really not their fault. If you'll forgive them, you can blame their father. But we spend our entire childhood, or their entire childhood, going... Darling, it doesn't really matter what you believe. What matters is what does the Word of God say? That's what matters. And you're fooling yourself. You're trying to convince yourself of other stuff. 
The reality is if you're really interested in truth, I'm going to listen to the voice of Christ. That's what truth is. I'm seeking for a body of Christians that want truth. It doesn't serve you any purpose for me to lie to you. It doesn't serve me any purpose for me to just tell you the glorious whatever. I can tell you that you're perfect and you make no mistakes and all that, and I can think that all day long, and the reality is that's not true. And it doesn't serve any purpose. It doesn't help them develop. It doesn't help your children develop to not speak truth to them. Now, speak it in love. It doesn't have to be offensively done. But it's still truth. And one of the best things you can do is learn to adjust your life to truth. Here's our concept of the sermon. I'm looking diligently searching for. For a church, a body of Christian people that seek truth. That's what I'm looking for. And I believe here at College Park, we believe in that concept. I would encourage us to share the concept with our friends, with our neighbors. You want people to seek truth. That means I want College Park to preach what it really is. Even if it steps on my toes, that's what it really is. My dad went through some very challenging years in his life. And it would be real easy for my dad to have sat on a pew and said, Oh, don't preach on that subject because I had to deal with that. There's some of you sitting on these pews that have gone through some challenging years in your life and you go, Oh, don't preach on that. That could be offensive to me because I really had to deal with that. And I just want to tell you that you really don't want that. As a congregation of people, you do not want our preachers preaching politically correct, perfect, don't offend anybody sort of sermons. You just don't want that. You want to not be offended by truth. And one of the great things I loved about my dad is he'd go, regardless of whether I went through that, regardless of the pain, regardless of the, the challenge or whatever, preach it. It's still true. We need to be sitting in our pews going, preach it, brother. It's true. Don't try to not hurt my feelings. Preach it like it is. And then we may need to be a little less, I got my feelings hurt sort of people. You know, maybe we just need to go, let me mold and shape my, my life after the image of Christ to the best of my ability. That's what I'm going to do. Nobody's trying to offend anybody. Now again, I'm not saying our pulpits ought to be somebody trying to offend people. Speak the truth in love. But I'm telling you, you still want the truth. Being politically correct is not going to help anyone. It's not going to help you. I'm looking, searching, diligently searching for a church, a body of Christian people that seek truth because truth matters. And we can convince ourselves of 19 other things, and the reality is at the end of the day, what is really true is still really true. Whether I can win the argument or not, I want to know what God's Word teaches. I'm looking diligently searching for a church, a body of Christian people that seek truth and that believe that truth originates with God, God's Word, Jesus. That's truth. And that's where the standard starts. And we measure everything by that standard. It's either moral or immoral because God's Word said it was moral or immoral. 
It's right or wrong because God's word said it's right or wrong. It's truth or a lie because God's word said it's a truth or a lie. That's the body of Christians I'm looking for. And I'm looking for a body of Christians diligently searching for a body of Christian people that seek truth because they recognize the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what the church does. The church supports truth. If the church can help you this morning in a spiritual way, we're going to offer an invitation song. That invitation song is designed for this very moment. If you're separated from God, you will burn eternally in hell. Not trying to offend you. Not trying to look down upon you. I'm telling you it's out of love and compassion. I don't want you burning in hell. I'm telling you that story stands true for you. It stands true for me. It stands true for anybody else. If you're separated from God upon his return or on the day of judgment, you will burn eternally in hell. It's true. And it doesn't help you for me to tell you something that's not true. True. 